Good evening. It's good to see you here this evening. Uh, if you want to get out your Bibles and turn to the book of Jonah, I'll give you a few seconds to find that book. It's one of the minor prophets. We've been looking at some of the minor prophets uh, in our studies to try to, to get a sense of the whole book. I think that's always beneficial for us. Uh, and Jonah's an easy book for us to get the picture of, so I'm looking forward to our study tonight. Uh, it's probably a book that you've heard of, uh, maybe in ch- children's Bible classes, the idea of the big fish, the great fish, and, and all of that. But do you know all the details? There's a lot of, of interesting things that are going on in the book of Jonah that, that have a lot of meaning for us today. Uh, and, and it's important for us to take in all of these ideas as, as we study together. So uh, if you want to follow along, we're just going to kind of go through the story of Jonah and then we'll look at what it means for us. Uh, it tells us in the very beginning of Jonah that the word of the Lord comes to him saying, Arise and go to the city of Nineveh, the great city, and preach against it because its evil has come up to the Lord. The Lord has heard of the evil of this great city, and God he wants to send his prophet Jonah to that city to preach to them. Well, Jonah doesn't really like this idea. <laughs> and this is a this is an interesting story because in this story we have a prophet who doesn't agree with the command of God. And because he doesn't agree with that command, he decides to go the other direction. Instead of going to Nineveh, Jonah goes from over here in in his region in Samaria down to Joppa where he boards his ship to go all the way over here to Tarshish. So he's literally trying to go to the other end of the world from Nineveh and the other end of the world from God and God's presence. The text tells us multiple times he's trying to flee God's presence. He wants to get as far away from God as he can because he knows he's rebelling against God and he doesn't want to receive any kind of punishment for that. So he's trying to get out of God's grass and he thinks he can do it. So Jonah boards his ship and he gets on that ship. It's a merchant ship and God knows where he is. Uh, we, we see that God sends this huge wind and this huge storm upon the ship. And everyone's terrified and everyone's wondering what's going on. The, the boat's about to break. It's bending and twisting in ways that boats aren't meant to bend and twist. And so they, they start throwing their cargo out. we got to survive at this point. We're going to die. They're throwing their cargo out. They're making a very long journey for the purpose of transporting this cargo. They don't want to throw it out. This is going to make them a lot of money. But they're throwing their cargo out. They're saying there's no hope. If we're, if we're going to die, then it's not worth anything to us. And the captain of the ship goes down into the belly where the cargo would typically be. And he finds Jonah lying there dead asleep in the belly of the ship. Completely asleep. Has no idea what's going on. And, and the captain says, what are you doing? <laughs> Do you not know that we're about to die? Get up and, and pray to your God. Do something that we might survive this horrible storm. And, Joseph, and Jonah gets up and uh, I guess he prays and, and nothing happens. And so all the, the sailors on the ship cast lots. And they're trying to figure out whose fault is this? 
somebody's done something really bad to have this kind of a storm happen at this time of year. They're sailing at a time, hopefully, that they could avoid this stuff. And so they're trying to cast blame. Who is Whose fault is this? And they cast lots, which is like drawing uh, sticks. You know, who gets the short end of the stick? And, and it comes upon Jonah, and they're like, who are you? Where do you come from? They start interrogating him. What have you done? And who is your God? And he says, I'm a Hebrew, and my God is the God of heaven. My God is the God who created the land and the sea. And he apparently tells them what it is that he's done. He's trying to get away from this God. And they're like, what have you done? And what are we supposed to do now? And Jonah says, throw me overboard. And the sea will calm down for you. <laughs> These guys are like, what? No. It's, it's interesting. They're not pirates, okay? You know, we, we think about the, the scenes that we see of ships and movies and stuff nowadays. It's always pirates or something like that. These guys aren't pirates. They're just honest sailors trying to get from one place to another. And they're afraid to throw Jonah overboard. They don't want anything to do with that. So they try to save themselves from the storm. They start rowing in the midst of this storm. And you don't row in a storm because it doesn't do anything. In fact, it'll get you in more trouble than anything. It'll turn you the wrong way and, and cause your ship to roll over. So they're trying to get away and they realize it's, it's, it's fruitless. There's no hope of ever surviving this storm. And so finally they give up and they, they take Jonah and they say, God, please don't judge us for this. Please don't hold the innocent blood against us. And they toss Jonah into the sea. And the, the second Jonah hits the sea, everything's calm. Nothing. Everyone's amazed. They offer up worship to God. They offer up sacrifices to God. They praise God because of what He has the power to do. See, they don't know God's like this. <laughs> and, and it makes sense for them to be afraid to throw Jonah overboard because worshiping God, in, in their sense, was worshiping something they had made up. But this is a God who actually brought the storm upon them and a God who is actually able to take the storm away. And so Jonah becomes a type of human sacrifice for the people. And, and he throws, he's thrown over and he goes into the sea. And Jonah's sinking now. And, and you would think, okay, the story's over. Jonah's going to die. Now we're going to read a new prophet who actually goes to Nineveh and does what God commands. But that's not how the story ends. We know this part, right? Jonah's sinking down in the water. And, and, and seaweed starts to wrap around his face. He can't tell which way is up from down. And then he hits the bottom and he knows it's all over. He's, he's fading away. And he remembers the God who he's been trying to run away from. That he is a, is a loving God. That he is a compassionate God. That his love for his people is never ending. And he calls out to his God at the last remaining second. And at that very second, a fish Swallows Jonah. It says a great fish swallows Jonah. And Jonah goes into the belly of the fish. And we assume that it's a whale and, and that it's got oxygen and everything for him to survive three days and three nights in the belly of this great fish. 
While Jonah's in the belly of this fish, it tells us that he offers up a prayer of praise to God, recognizing that God is a great God of salvation. And, and pointing out that he desires to once again worship this God. He makes vows to do that, to return back to the temple and offer up his sacrifice of praise to the God who he believes in because he has now received this great salvation. And he says that salvation belongs to the Lord. He recognizes this. And now he's willing to submit to God's will. He's willing to go to Nineveh. So the, the, the fish spits him out on the dry land. And again, God comes to him and says, Jonah, arise and go to Nineveh and tell the message that I send you to tell. And Jonah this time goes to Nineveh to preach the message. And, and whenever he gets there, it's this huge city. Okay? Imagine a city that takes three days to walk across. Okay? It's miles and miles long. And he starts to walk through that city, and all that he says is, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overtaken. Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overtaken. Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overtaken. And would you believe that people actually listen to that? This is a pagan nation, okay? These are, these are wicked people, idol worshipers. Uh, all that we know about the Assyrians who had this city of Nineveh is that they were cruel people, they would torture others, they, they were idolatrous, they were immoral, they were gross, sensual people. And it says, from the least of them to the greatest of them, they heard the word of God, they felt remorse and fear. Again, of God coming and, and, and judging them and condemning them. They put on sackcloth and ashes and, and put ashes on their head. They, they refrained from eating or drinking. In fact, even the king himself took his royal robe off and put on a sackcloth and made a decree that everyone in the city was to do the same thing. Everybody wears sackcloth and ashes. Nobody eats or drinks anything. In fact, don't feed the animals or, or give the animals anything to drink. Nobody gets anything because maybe, just maybe, God will refrain from, from judging us. It's amazing that, that we see this level of repentance. We don't see this level of repentance anywhere in the Bible, but we see it here. We see these, these people in Nineveh being fully willing to turn their life around, to stop doing their evil that they have been doing, to stop doing violence, and to turn their heart back to God. And at this moment we would think, alright, you know, this is a great end of the story. This is the way it's supposed to end. Now we're going to see Jonah's praising God. He goes back to the temple to fulfill his vow and everything's good. But that's not how it ends. Uh, instead, Jonah leaves the city and, and he sees all this that's going on and he says, I knew you would do that. I knew you would forgive them. I knew you were merciful. I knew you were compassionate. I knew you would forgive someone who turns their heart back to you. That's why I went to Tarshish in the first place. And it's just a huge twist in the story because this whole time we're thinking, okay, he doesn't want to go to Nineveh. Maybe it's because they're so wicked and so evil. He wants to get away from all that. But it turns out he didn't want to go to Nineveh because he didn't want them to be forgiven. He wanted to get as far away so that those people would not hear that they need to repent and that they might be judged and destroyed. And so Jonah says, I knew you would do that. Just take my life from me. It's better for me to die than to live. I don't even want to live anymore. 
And God says, do you do well to be angry? Do you do well to be angry? It's a fascinating question. It's a question that that needs further explanation. And so God gives us an additional story in this story to help us understand what's wrong with Jonah and to help us understand what God really wants and what God's really all about. Jonah goes outside the city and he sets up a booth like a a tent or something so that he can watch and see what's going to happen to Nineveh. What's going to happen to this great city that has now repented, obviously? Uh, Are they going to get destroyed anyway? Are they going to go back to their idolatry? You know, how's this going to turn out? He doesn't want to go back home. He wants to stay here and see what happens. And so he's sitting there waiting, and he's got the shade, and then uh, it's a little hot. And then night comes, and, and God provides him a plant to provide shade over his head. And he's, he's, the next day, he's like, man, this is nice. I actually I'm kind of comfortable here. You know, I've got this breeze. I've got this shade. Things are nice. I can just hang out. He's very glad. This is the only time in the book that we see him truly glad and excited about what's going on with him. And then the next night, he wakes up. And a worm has eaten this plant. And the sun rises and a scorching heat comes and withers the plant to nothing. And apparently his booth is gone because it says that sun is now shining on him. And he is being weakened by the sun so much that he's fading away, like fainting away because of the heat. And he looks up again and he says, just kill me, God. And God says, do you do well to be angry, Jonah? (laughs) Yes, I do well to be angry, God. Angry enough to die. God says, you pity the plant that you didn't cause to grow, that you didn't water, that you didn't do anything to make happen for you. And should I not pity the 120,000 people in this city that don't know their right hand from their left, and along with their cattle. We're just left with that. That's it. Think about it. <laughs> do you do well to be angry? He thinks he does, but he doesn't. What a fascinating story. As we read through and we study this story, we see that it kind of explains the Bible to us in 48 verses. It's a very short story, but it shows us the Bible. God gives man a task. Man rebels against the task in the Garden of Eden. You see him rebelling against the task. God provides compassion and and mercy, and, and man acts like he's going to take it, but then he kind of didn't have a heart that wanted to do what God wanted him to do. And then we see God showing compassion to others who accept His grace and show repentance like they really should. So this is really kind of an interesting story in that it gives us the whole Bible in 48 verses, a description of how God is responding to man's rebellion with compassion and mercy. That's what we see in this story. It's very fascinating to look at. So when we, when we think about this story, we start to think about uh, the main thing that we see throughout the story. And that is the rebellious heart in Jonah. This, this pops up in Jonah. It pops up in the, the, sailors, the sailors. And God wants us to recognize it as well. He's trying to get a message preached. 
And men are trying to stand in the way of his message going out. Jonah rebels, the sailors rebel, but in the end, God forces them into submission. And that submission results in salvation of the people who really want it. He saves the sailors. Who knows what happens to them after that? He he saves Jonah and we kind of see what happens to him. He goes right back into a rebellious state. But he also saves Nineveh and we don't really know what happened to them. But they seem more repentant than anybody. The idea is that man desires to repent, uh, to rebel against God. And God desires man to repent. So do we see that we relate to this? We, we desire to rebel against God on occasion. We desire to go after what we want to do. We, we desire to save ourselves like those sailors did. We desire to say no to God's commands and flee from the presence of God and get as far away as we can. This is what we do. And here we have in Jonah a message for us to take in of what God desires and what we need to do in response to God's desire. God desires submission. Think about for a second, why does Jonah want Nineveh to be destroyed? Why does he have these hard feelings toward those in Nineveh? Well, they're wicked. We kind of talked about that earlier. But there's something else that's going on in Jonah's heart, in Jonah's mind. As Jonah looks at this great city, and he sees them as these idol worshippers, you kind of get that in his prayer that he sees them as idol worshippers, he doesn't really realize that he's worshipping his own idol. You see, Jonah wants Nineveh destroyed so that he can protect his home nation of Israel. Nineveh is the powerhouse. The Assyrians are the powerhouse of that day. The Assyrians are the ones who are going to come down into Israel and destroy Israel, the northern tribes of Israel one day. And so Jonah really doesn't want them to succeed. He wants his own nation to rise up and to succeed and, and to be glorious like in the days of David. So Jonah's rebellion is a result of him trying to protect his idols. You see, if, if Nineveh repents, we kind of see this as the story plays out. It's Jonah's worst nightmare. Why else would he say, I want to die? There's nothing better for me in this life. I have become a traitor to my own people. Why does he not go back home? Because he feels a traitor to his own people, Israel. This is his goal in life, is for his people to prosper. And he doesn't care about anyone else. He takes no pity on them. Well, that kind of raises a question as we try to relate this to us. What's our idol? What's our idol? What would be our worst nightmare? What is God commanding us to do that we understand what He desires from us, But we also understand that by doing what he wants, we would have to give up this. What do we run away from God about? What do we love more than we love God? Jonah's terrified of losing his country. 
What are we terrified of losing? Are we terrified of losing our money? If we lost our money, would we feel as though we probably should just die? What about our spouse? Are we prepared for the loss of a spouse? What about our children? Do we, would we do well to be angry with God if we lost these things? These are idols that we can create in our lives if we're not careful. Do you see how that idol that, that has been created gets in the way of Jonah fulfilling the service to God that he's supposed to do? Because he loves his country more than he loves God, he's unwilling to go to this foreign nation and preach to them. He's unwilling to get outside of his comfort zone and, and open up himself to the possibility that maybe God is God's will and God's working is more important than his own nation surviving. In the end, Jonah has to submit to whatever God wants in order to be found faithful, in order to be found as one who loves God more than anyone else, in order to be found as one who doesn't have an idol. And at the end, we see Jonah being rebuked because he loves the nation more than he loves God. In fact, it seems as though he loves comfort more than he loves God. As the plant dies and he's angry with God. All these things can become our idols if we love them more than we love doing the will of God. But the second main message that we see in this book is that of salvation. We see the the need for submission and then we also see the need for salvation. Let's compare Jonah's feelings to God's feelings. Let's think about what Jonah is thinking throughout the story as he, as he reveals those thoughts in his actions. Notice how Jonah is willing to accept his own grace. He's willing to accept salvation from God. But he's not willing to accept salvation for those around him who he despises. In chapter 2, verse 7, he says... When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Here we have Jonah acting as though he is so much greater and better than everyone else in his prayer, but he's recognizing that God is the one who saves him. And he's desiring to worship God. So we have a conflict here between Jonah wanting to serve God and Jonah feeling some animosity toward those who worship idols that restricts him from going to help them. But notice how God gives grace. The comparison or the contrast between these two characters is is startling. Jonah is this uh, racist, evil kind of a, a prophet who is rebelling against God. 
And then God is this openly willing to forgive and show love to anyone kind of God. He gives grace to Jonah when he is trying to flee and and directly disobeying his will. And he gives him the whale to save him. He gives him the storm to bring him back. He gives him the whale to save him. And then he, he gives him the mission again. That's an act of grace. He allows Jonah to fulfill the mission. And then he gives him a plant. Isn't it interesting that God doesn't just strike Jonah dead when he says, kill me, you know, the first time? He just asks him, do you do well to be angry? And he gives him grace. He gives him a plant, lets him feel comfortable. He's trying to teach him. He gives him a worm. He gives him the wind. These are acts of grace that God gives Jonah to help to drive him to the way he's supposed to be thinking, the way he's supposed to be acting, to help him understand that he does not do well to be angry. You see, Jonah gives up and he wants to die. But God really wants Jonah to live. And He wants him to live for God's service. These are the two different attitudes that we see. Jonah is one who loves Israel. He loves the plant. He loves his idol. And God is the one who loves lost souls. This is the picture that we see in this book. God loves lost souls. He is patient. His love is steadfast that it endures forever. He's willing to forgive over and over when we're rebellious. He's willing to train. He's willing to to teach. He's willing to care for those who rebel against Him. And try to bring them back to Him. Jonah's story is also amazing because when we go to the New Testament, Jesus is written all in the book of Jonah. Jesus gives the same message that we find in Jonah. He commands the people to give up their idols, to submit, to receive the salvation that God is offering to them. Like Jonah, Jesus is in the belly of the fish. Jesus is buried for three days and three nights. He is sacrificed that others might live. But, unlike Jonah, Jesus resembles God. He does not get angry over the sinfulness of men who rebel against God. He does not get angry to the point where He's unwilling to help them. Jesus shows Himself to be a willing and obedient prophet who loves God with all His heart and desires for others to love God in the same way. When Jesus... Uh, is talking to his disciples before his death in John chapter 13, verse 34. He tells them to love each other as I have loved you. Think about that for a minute. Love each other as I have loved you. This is what God wanted Jonah to do. God wanted Jonah to love the Ninevites. As God had loved Jonah. Yeah, they had rebelled against God. They had tried to get away from the idea of the one true God in as as much a way as possible they wanted to rebel. But God still loves them, just like He did Jonah. And we need to learn this as well. 
As God has loved us by sending His Son to die for us, as Jesus Himself has loved us by being willing to sacrifice Himself to serve us, that's how we ought to feel toward others. Now that's hard. I mean, I know most everybody here, but to love you like that, to take up a cross for you to live, to go through that pain and that suffering. That's extreme. That's extreme love. That's the kind of love that He has for us and that's the kind of love He desires for us to have toward one another. This is the way man is. This is the way God is. And we have to choose to to be more like God and less like man as we live this life, as we're trying to become more and more like Him. We're loving each other more. We're, we're patiently enduring with each other. We're submitting to the will of God and we're putting away our idols, whether it's an idol of comfort or an idol of uh, family or TV or whatever those idols are that hinder us from ministering and reaching out to others. God wants us to put those away that we might serve Him more faithfully and that we might show love toward those around us. This is the message of Jonah. At this time we'll offer an invitation for those who do not know God, who have not received His grace and His mercy. We want you to know that God is a graceful God. He will provide for you the training that you need. He will provide for you the love, the forgiveness, the cleansing that you need in Jesus. If you'll just submit to His will and His reign. It's not going to be easy. Uh, We don't want to portray it as that. Discipleship is about counting the costs and being willing to submit when it's hard and growing from our mistakes. If there's anybody here tonight who needs to do that, you need to put on Christ. Please don't wait. Come as we stand.